Hello, it's Jay, and we're back for another Outcast. I'm here once again with Andrew. How are you doing? Yes, I'm very well today. Um, last game of the season left now, so it's a bit. I'm a bit sad that the season's coming to an end. But um, yeah, I think we've got lots to get through, though. So it was the last home game, of course. Uh, mm. Were you there? Yes, I was. Um, we watched on yeah. TV, and uh, the, the atmosphere looked very, very heated. So talk, talk us through that. It looked like a, a, a fantastic atmosphere. So I think Newcastle at night, generally, when we've played the big games at night, um, the atmosphere tends to be electric, and especially... I think in this game, obviously, you had a team that was going for the title um, versus Newcastle. Newcastle played really well as well, which I always think helps the atmosphere. Um, I think one of the things that we found during the game was the Liverpool fans were very loud, understandably, because A, it was a terrific match, so I think it's not it's not hard to generate an atmosphere when the match is terrific. Um, so, you know, if it was like Newcastle nil, Fulham nil earlier in the year, it would have been much, much harder. But um, that match itself was just terrific. But generally, I think the issues that we saw with the atmosphere was it was very, like, it started off really good atmosphere we had the presentation in the Melbourne sorry the Gallagher apologies yeah, the Gallagher and that looks amazing but then we had this issue where there was quite a few Liverpool fans in the Gallagher game okay. which didn't seem to be a problem at the start of the, the game but as the game kind of obviously the game tossed and turned a lot in, in and there's towards the end like the police had quite a big issue i've never seen that many police go into the the stands because basically what it seems to have happened is that i think some newcastle fans have sold their tickets to liverpool fans mm-hmm. and they basically obviously it sounds to me like obviously alcohol was <laughs> alcohol was consumed they started rather than sitting on their hands when Liverpool score, celebrating openly, goading the Newcastle fans from the reports I've read. And I think this wasn't only, like, it's fine, you know, the club saying, well, these Newcastle fans should not have sold their tickets. This happened in hospitality as well, (laughs) where Newcastle had openly sold hospitality to Liverpool fans, because obviously Liverpool fans were keen because they think it might be the game which helps win the title. Um, they basically had sold their t- hospitality, and supposedly hospitality had the same issues where there was arguments erupting. I know the Platinum Suite, which is one of the uh, main suites for hospitality, had huge issues, and seeing a lot of the videos on YouTube, this you know it wasn't an isolated incident. So... I think the club will have to think about its ticketing policy for these types of games. I suppose it's a bit of a perfect storm with it being an evening game. There's a lot of daytime drinking. There's a lot of uh, tensions running high with the the narrative, which we'll come on to talk about a little bit regarding the title race and things like that. And uh, the, there is a relationship in a, uh, between um, Newcastle and Liverpool historically with the 4-3 the results that happened in the past. Um, so that kind of feeds into that a little bit, I think. Um, 
what we'll focus on is we'll try and look at things in terms of positives and then negatives yes. to try and make things a little bit quicker. Um, so let's look at the Newcastle goals. It was 3-2, yes. of course, so it was uh, unfortunate to lose in the end, or you could argue in some cases it was quite controversial. But uh, let's look at the um, Atsu goal, first of all. That was surrounded by a bit of controversy in the sense that there was a technically, by the letter of the law, a penalty shout, I believe. But then, because it was scored, that meant that Liverpool weren't eligible to have a man sent off. Yeah. So it was it quite strange. Uh, reminded me of the um, Arsenal-Barcelona Champions League final. I don't know if you remember that. Where basically, Jens Lehmann came out of the goal, um, got sent off, um, just kind of took the player out. Ludovic Julie tapped it in, but the ref disallowed the goal, but uh, basically sent off Lehman. So Arsenal were down to 10 men for most of that final. Right. And um, it depends on what would you rather have. Would you rather, in this situation, would you rather have had um, a red card for Trent and a basically a penalty, because it would have been a penalty, or would you rather have had the goal, guaranteed goal, and Trent staying on the pitch? I mean, you didn't even get a yellow. <laughs> um, so I think, in my opinion, the way we played that game, I think I would have fancied us to win um, that match if Liverpool had been down to 10. Because Liverpool, for me, didn't... So, firstly, just sticking to that. So, I think it is a controversial situation. And I think, um, however, with hindsight, you know, let's say, you know, the goal... We'd missed the penalty. We would all have said, well, the goal should have been allowed, isn't it? So, Mm -hmm. everything's easier with hindsight. Yeah, I mean, I always like to see 11 men stay on the pitch for each side. I, um, I do usually as a neutral, but not against Newcastle. <laughs> well, given the circumstances of some of the other goals as well, it probably would have been more of a, a justice call, really. Um, but keeping positive, we had some other things go on as well. So there was a there was the potential for ascending off there, but the um, up, in terms of Newcastle chances and goals, we had um, a wonderful chance from Perez where he hit the bar. That, that was the key th- moment. That would have gone three two Newcastle. So that was a that was a that was a rocket where the way it hit the hit the upright. Because at at that moment it would have gone three two, because it came we just scored, just scored, and then basically we would have gone ahead with the, that Perez shot. It was a fantastic shot, by the way. I'm just thinking generally in that match that would have possibly been a bit of a sucker punch to Liverpool because it would have been back-to-back goals as well. Maybe they would have had a bit... But, I mean, judging by what they did last night, they, would have <laughs> they wouldn't have cared, really. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think for, for for us, it was a... I mean, it was an incredible match as well. I mean, yesterday's match against Barcelona was amazing, but the match on Saturday was really good as well. I think they were caught... Aback, taken aback with the pressing and the, the flow of attack from Newcastle, um, which seemed to be a, a, a really high quality. And, you know, a lot there was the Rondon finish as well, which was fantastic. Um, and then, obviously, you had Perez hitting the bar, which was very, very unfortunate, and the Atsu goal. 
Um, so, yeah, it was. It, it seemed to be a lot more frenetic, a lot quite combative as well in terms of the uh, attack and the level of physicality and pressure that they put on uh, Liverpool. So I think that shocked them a little bit. And given the narrative surrounding the game of Rafa doing them a favour, which in hindsight was just frankly ridiculous, mm. um, it was it was a really exciting game to watch. And I can only imagine, given the the flags display and the sort of febrile atmosphere that was there, that was a really exciting game to be at. Yeah, it was a it was a, a brilliant game to be at. I mean, the last time I think we've had an atmosphere like that for a night match was, I don't know if you remember the 3 all draw with Man United, where Domit smashes it in in the last two minutes, I think. Incredible. That was a, I mean, that was a great game as well. Um, so, this this game was, I mean, night, I think night games, there's always something a bit more special about them, especially when we play well. Um, looking at the game as a whole, I think, I mean, if you look at firstly Van Dijk scores, I mean, what is our defending on that goal? <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, well, didn't cover himself in glory. No, it, he didn't. It was a free header. Let's be honest. <laughs> Don't know what he was doing there. I mean, like for me, like the one of anyone at a corner that you're going to be worried about for Liverpool, it is Van Dijk. So to. Um, to just let him coast in is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just it's just schoolboy, um, and then the same. You could say the same with the third goal. Um, again, not really getting tight on a. Re- I mean, it's a great delivery by Shakiri, and um, so forth. But still, again, I, I also think Dubravka should have come out a little bit better. But maybe that's me. That's me having not looked at numerous highlights of it. But um, yeah, I think the defending we could have defended much better and got a result. So it's one of those where you feel like, like I, I said, this, I don't think Liverpool played well. I think no. Newcastle. Yeah, we. I think the the thing which I think is a huge compliment. I was just reading what Jamie Carragher said is that Rondon gave. Van Dyke, one of his hardest games of the season, which is a, I mean, it's a great compliment, really, when you consider he's the PFA Player of the Year, um, and I, I actually think Rondon bullied a lot him a lot, mm-hmm. um, and it worked really, really well. We did go a bit more direct, I agree, but you know, it, it worked, and um, Perez um, was terrific. <laughs> You know, I keep saying this about Perez. When he first joined, his first touch was incredible, and I was always thinking, and I felt, it, I felt before his ups, his upstart in form, I felt it, it, it had abandoned him a bit. But watching him on Saturday night, his touch was back to to back to when he first joined us, and it was, it was really really good to watch. And even everyone around. Me was saying it's a completely different player to the one we saw the first half of the season. So I think he's, you know, he played really well. But I think the tactic of going long to Rondon with Perez running off him really worked really well against Liverpool. And we probably should, we should definitely should have got something from the match. They're essential together, really, aren't they? Um, yeah. So I was really impressed with the attacking play, however direct it was. Um, but it was a shame that we were let down by soft goals because bo- both the goals were. Very soft. Yes. A Rigi goal, um, it's questionable whether he actually scored that or not. 
Um, but again, that's a result of um, a poor game from Lascelles again, isn't it? You know, and you mentioned two, about um, two errors, two errors. Yeah, it was a tale of two different sides of the the side. Really, the attack was really strong, but we were soft in defence mm. for a lot of lot of the game. Um, I, I think. Um, Firstly, Dummett and Shaw were terrific. Yes. Um, I think Dummett, that was his best game as a centre-back out of the ones he's played. I just think Jim Lascelles um, struggled uh, quite a bit. I don't know, with Lascelles, I feel that the Arsenal game where he made the mistakes, the Monday night game, um, where, where, again, he was... I think he was to blame for two of the goals. One of them, he just lets the guy run, guy run through. I don't know if his form has been quite the same. You know, I think I think it would be interesting to see whether he would have stayed in the team had Lejeune been fit. Um, yes. But but yeah, I think Shaw and Dummett were were very good. I just think that Lascelles had one of his poorer games. Dummett seems to be a lot more solid than in seasons gone by in terms of uh, what he complements actually to the rest of the team because a big criticism of him was that um, I think there was a reliance on him in attack um, for a little while and now we've got slightly more attacking players um, complementing each other I think the pressure's been taken off him somewhat to concentrate on defending mm. and you know he doesn't get beaten very often um, by people um, and I think yeah Cher and uh, Dummett have been excellent um, and I think you're right. I think uh, Lejeune would have given Lascelles a real headache. And, and really, yeah. if it was down to me, I would I would have played the two ball playing centre-backs, really, because they're both capable of, of being physical yeah. as well. I think um, it's interesting with Dummett, because um, <clears throat> when he first broke into the Newcastle team and he was playing left-back, especially the season we went down, um, I always felt he wasn't suited to being a left-back. Um, because I always felt he was very uncomfortable on the ball. He's kind of a bit like a hot potato. His distribution was very poor. He was very slow. His recovery, and then as like the last two years, he's really improved as a left back. But I always felt he was. I remember. Do you remember when we played City away in the League Cup? The game with Sissoko's two goals. Yes. Yes. I mean, David played centre back in that game, and he was absolutely brilliant in that game. Um, and I always thought, oh, he's you know he's better suited as a centre back. And then when I saw that Rafa didn't trust him as a wing back, I was like, well, he's improved his distribution and his crossing. But looking at it now, if we're going to play a three, possibly Dummett is a really good option there because he he is his his distribution from the back has improved from playing left back and learning how to go forward better. But also he is he has, he knows how to play centre back. So yeah, I think. It's good that he's, you know, been able to get a run in that position. It's no coincidence, given time and under a more capable manager, that players are developing. A direct correlation, really, for, to me. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think Dummett was um, that season we went down. If you remember our back four, it was uh, obviously Dummett, Colacini, Taylor, um, or Mbemba, and Yamma. He got criticised quite a bit, but for me, a lot of the issues was 
that Colaccini was just too slow at that time. And a lot of the mistakes were because the gaps between Dominic and Colaccini was too big. Mm-hmm. And um, looking at him now, he just he comes across as much more confident, and I do trust him much much more. Um, Kieran Clark is for me, he's not really done that much wrong in a Newcastle shirt, but you know the fact that Dummett as a centre back can tell you how Rafa prefers Dummett to Clark. Touched a little bit on the Newcastle goals. Um, mm. We've talked about the rather soft goals from Liverpool. Mm. One thing to think about the Liverpool game is this obsession with the title race and the narrative. There seem to be some very questionable uh, decisions from the officials. To be um, <laughs> there was, that was ridiculous. There was, yeah. you know, it was like an elephant gun reaction for absolutely it's, no reason. And the, then the issue, the issue with that as well is if you look at it, the line, like, because I, I, I'm not that far from where it happened, and. The, the linesman is literally staring straight at it. Like, how can you get that wrong unless you're not concentrating? It was so obvious. And I was just like everyone said he's, he's thrown himself to the floor. And there was an issue, to be fair, what I will say, there was an issue with one of the goal, with one of our attacks, where basically Rich, <laughs> Trent Alexander-Arnold is trying to get back and Richie basically just completely obstructs him and like throws him to the floor. And like I know, I know Trent said later in an interview, you know, you talk about me, but Richie did, you know, did that, to, did that to me. So I mean, just to offer fair balance, but yeah, the decision with Fabinho was was, was ridiculous. There were some odd ones. I remember when Rondon was in attack at one point, he did practically nothing. Um, it reminded me of the Alan Shearer sending off, uh, where Uriah Rennie sent him off for basically nothing. No, yeah, uh, but Aston Villa. That, that's right, yeah, and it just it just seemed like he just stood there completely still, um, and and got uh, penalised for it. Mm. I couldn't see it, so it made me it made me question it really. And a lot of people have been questioning the the officials. You know, you've got this obsession with the narrative, and you know the potential of Liverpool winning the league. Um, Really soft decisions like that with the the linesman. You had uh, Newcastle being nullified in attack by a lot of refereeing decisions. Mm. Is there scope for grassy knoll conspiracy theories on this one? No, <laughs> I'm not <quite laughs> the conspiracy theory. Um, I just think it. I think it was a terrible decision. I, I think it was the the Rondon thing was all the way through the game that we felt fouls were going against him. Um, I mean, he played so well. <laughs> um, he really did, and like I think that there's been a question this year: is has he done it against the top six? Um, because if you look at his performances, um, Man City home game apart. Um, I don't think he's he's made as much of an impact against the top six, but then he showed that he can lead the line, no doubt. He's he's just brilliant. I mean, again, it's so frustrating that we haven't signed him permanently because, like, I'm like, so many people are going to be watching that game, and be, like, my friend was telling me he's a Chelsea fan, and he was saying like Rondon, you know, if Giroud goes, then Rondon is a perfect replacement, and I was like, oh god, <laughs> it's like Denver Bar and Low Creme all over again. 
Well, this is it, isn't it? There's a lot of players getting noticed. I mean, I know there's links with quite heavily with uh, Perez to places like Braga and Napoli. Um, Spurs. Yeah. yeah, and also, you know, like you said, uh, it's Rondon, you know, potentially his last home game as he'd been on loan. Um, and that's all, a lot of this could be linked to the Rafa situation as well. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding that. Um, the, th- the, thing with, the thing with the Rondon thing now is that if we'd signed him, say, at the beginning when he was just started playing well, his wage demands wouldn't be as high. Now, like, after the way he's been playing recently, he's going to put put such high wages, which is going to mean we're less likely to get him as well. It's penny-wise pound-foolish, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like, you should we should have nipped this, on, nipped this earlier. Uh, but like now he's gonna be noticed, and I don't know. I I, I think he's gonna go. If you if you're asking me, I think Everton is the one that I worry because they need they need someone to lead their line properly, and um, as well as Richarlison, and I think he would probably fit for them. And I'm just really really hoping that somehow we get him. But again, with the delay in Rafa's thing, just just. It, all this delays things and you know Rondon's not going to wait around forever we've had all seasons time up I think it's going to be a huge summer in terms of what happens regarding certainly the managerial situation but I think that has a direct impact on the recruitment <laughs> strategy and the confidence that players will have in joining us and then also staying at the club as well I mean we've got um, a lot of talk I noticed there was an a interview with Isaac Hayden in the Chronicle today, yeah. um, that was came out today anyway, and uh, was talking. Obviously, he's looking like he's going to leave, pretty much certainly for personal reasons. And, but he was adamant that Benitez won't renew without sufficient compromise. Mm-hmm. He, he practically said that uh, verbatim. He's, a, he's an interesting character, Isaac Hayden. Whenever he does interviews, he does say some like very outgoing. Like most footballers are really guarded. He's always just like, yeah, he's not going to sign if you don't do this. You know, when he did his transfer kind of request, he explained it. and He was quite forthright. He's like, I want to leave. The club should let me leave. And like this interview again, maybe because he knows he's leaving, that he's just like, yeah, you need to, we need to keep Rafa. Yeah, I think there's just no risk, is there, for him? I mean, he's a good yeah. enough player to get a contract and, and you know, ply his trade elsewhere. Uh, and he's he's proved that at times this season. He's, I think he's been really good in the last few games. He's turned a season round. At the start of the season, he was the, the you know, the scapegoat. He was, everyone's like, oh, he's, too, he's not good enough. He's championship level and everything. And as the season's gone on, um, I think the Wolves away game was his turning point, really. Um, but as the season's gone on, he's just really... He's really grown um, and he's he's done really well. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, with regards to his Benitez comments, um, obviously, mm. technically, it was Rafa's last game as well. The fans did their part. The war flags display was fantastic. Um, and you could tell, e- even through the TV, that the fans were in full voice. You know, we want you to stay. Um, and it seems that fans, players... The manager, they all seem to be pulling in the same direction and want the same things. Um, there was a lot of talk about positivity coming mm. from Rafa about talks with the club. Yeah, He wants a meeting with Mike Ashley. That mm. sounds like it might be forthcoming, albeit very late. Um, it's a case of him dealing with the monkey and not the organ grinder, I suppose, at this point, isn't it? 
Yeah. I think one thing which, like with Mike Ashley, is just, you know, it's fine him leaving Lee Charnley to do it, but if Ruff is constantly dealing with the person who doesn't make the main decisions, then, you know, like we've said before, he's going to get frustrated. And, I mean, again, you know, it's taken them so long to have a meeting. Um, it's just... You know, again, it's just so frustrating because it's not the way we should be run, really. I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, if you look at, you know, the bigger, the biggest clubs, like, you know, if Oli Soishkar wanted to meet the Glazers, you know, it happens. Same with all the other. I mean, Arsenal is probably very similar to us, but um, the the most of the other clubs, you know, it will happen. Like Newcastle is just taken forever. It's just it's just really bad management of the club and of a brilliant asset in Rafa Benitez. There's a lot of talk that comes forth from the club about looking to the future and having stability and all the things at the right place. But then mm. that just doesn't transpire, does it? No, because you know stability. It's great saying, "Oh, we want stability. We want Rafa to stay and so forth," but. You also need to have a long-term plan. What What is the idea? Like, what are you planning to do? I mean, again, I've seen, you know, we've been linked this week with the Coventry City midfield, I think is Bayless for about three million. And right. we've been linked with the Swansea winger, uh, James, for about ten million. And I'm just like, nothing is going to happen until Rafa signed. You know, it's... It's just like I just don't think any, we need to we we can't progress we can't change anything until we know what's going to happen with Rafa. So there was some interesting questions raised this week along those lines. Mm. Um, you know, is there any point in following Newcastle United if it's just going to be and Rafa signing if it's just going to be him with the shackles on? Um. I think so, um, because at the end of the day, obviously, whatever club you support, you have times where you have down periods in your history and whatever. And, you know, like like what Kevin Keegan said, they're just custodians. Like Mike Ashley is just a custodian. Mm-hmm. He will he will leave eventually, whatever happens. It's frustrating. It's destroys destroys your morale it makes you hate you know like it, it makes it very very difficult to motivate yourself sometimes because you want the club to do well you want the club to spend fairly and to do the things you want but still you're supposed to you know as well we've we've been relegated twice this is still better than when it was like like whilst the championship was great because we won all those games you know i mean i i went to barnsley away preston away you know, some stadiums which aren't really that great, like we, some a club the size of Newcastle United should not be going. No disrespect to them, they're you know they're traditional clubs and everything, but we should really be in the top ten in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, we still you have to stick by Newcastle and like whatever happens. Um, I mean, it's better to have Rafa than not have Rafa, of course. And, like, it's going to be very difficult if the shackles are on again. But, you know, Rafa with the shackles on is better than anyone else with the shackles on. So, 
a case of perfect being the enemy of good then. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It's an interesting debate, isn't it? Um, I, th- I think there's, unfortunately, there's more and more clubs looking at him now as well, which is starting to worry me. I mean, we talked about PSG the other day. I read Roma could be in for him now as well, because uh, Guas Claudio Ranieri has done a decent job. Um, you know, they want someone who's um, a bit younger. So they were looking at Rafa and, I mean, again, it's just, it's, you know, Roma can offer European football that we can't. just makes you sad if it does happen that he does leave. So the question might be out of our hands altogether anyway. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, we've still got one game. We've got Fulham away. Are you going to that game? I'm not. It was. Uh, I've got to go to a wedding instead. Oh, I was God. told about at the last minute, but I would have tried, I love, tried I to get say, a ticket in the neutral end, I think. Yeah, I've got to say, I love, um, I've been to Craven Cottage probably four times, and uh, for all Newcastle games, it's one of my favourite stage, one of my favourite stadiums to go to, in terms of place, I mean, it's an amazing part of London, a great walk from the tube station to the stadium. The rough uh, part of town. Yeah, we don't generally get good results there, unfortunately. I remember one game we lost 5-2 when Andy Johnson scored a hat-trick. Danny Guffrey scored an amazing volley in that game. And then I also remember uh, we lost, but Ben Arthur scored a brilliant goal. It goes over the keeper and looks incredible. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I, I wish I was going. I mean, I actually went to the game when we were both in the championship. It was the first game of the season. We lost 1-0, if you remember. Remember, we started the season two defeats. It was a tough start, wasn't it? Yeah, two defeats. And I always remember we were... I mean, this is just... We, we had Perez and Gale up front, and we were literally launching balls to these two midgets. And you're just like, what are we doing? But then, you know, things came good after those two games. So what are your thoughts for the Fulham game? Obviously, we both have to go. There's yeah. apparently a 1,000 Geordies on the Thames uh, yeah. in boats. So look out central London I think Fulham have really picked up um, under our ex-midfielder Scott Parker <laughs> um, it's funny whenever people talk about Scott Parker they always forget he played for Newcastle for a year and a bit um, knocked his yeah. teeth out for us if I remember right yeah I mean he was he's an interesting player because um, I always liked him I always thought he's at that time if you remember what you seen as was the manager and um we were kind dark of days. Going, yeah dark days, but we were going through the soonest trying to transition us from an attacking exciting team to a defensive slow, <laughs> really slow team. And um, Parker was for me the best midfielder in that group, but he got quite a lot of criticism from the fans. If he, I think he found it quite difficult um, not being in London as well. You know, when he was sold, I think a lot of fans didn't mind. But for me, he was at the time he was our best midfielder by a, by a long way. He's done is very good. I mean, I think they'll probably think I wish we hadn't got Ranieri because I think that was a disaster. They probably wish they'd gone for Scott Parker. Be interesting to see how Mitrovic does against us. What are your What are your thoughts? And if we were going to predict a scoreline, I'm quite positive about this. I think that yeah. we'll have a strong end to the season. Yeah, we always have crazy games on the end of the season. But um, last year, I think we beat Chelsea three 0 and Dwight Gale got two and then got loaned out. But uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I think it'll be um, I think it'll be a crazy game. I think it'll be three all. 
Three all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Six goal thriller ended the season. Six goal thriller ended the season. I think we had a game against West Brom where it was three nil at half time, and then we came back and drew three three. But uh, yeah, I don't know why. I think it'll be a it'll be a crazy, crazy, uh, crazy game because both teams will just be like, we can hopefully we'll nick a win, but yeah, we can get revenge for that championship year when we lost. I'll lump for two nil Newcastle. I think that Perez is going to continue right until the end. And also, I think Rondon's got another goal in him as well. Yeah. What What do you think about, like, um, Dwight Gale? Do you think he'll come back? He's, he's, he's scoring a ridiculous number. Of, I know he's championship, but he does look like he's back to his form. You know, he's in, when we had him in the championship. Do you, think, do you think Rafa might give him another chance? Or do you think he'll be like, no, we need... Because for me, he is a... If you let Perez go, you need you need to replace him, don't you? And probably Gale's a good option. Well, if you're not going to invest, then it might become a necessity. You know, yeah. I, I'm sure he could complement Almiron in some way when he becomes fit. Um, and you do, you're right; he has been scoring a lot of goals, but it's whether he can make that transition again from yeah. the Championship, where he was pretty uh, prolific, to the Premier League once again. Yeah, I always said with Gale that he was amazing for us three quarters of the way to the championship, and then he he, he pulled his hamstring and his, he didn't quite have that burst of pace. And um, I was watching some highlights from one of the West Brom games, and I just thought he's he's got he's he had that pace again, and uh, maybe he's finally overcome that injury. Um, Personally, I mean, he should be he he should be in the squad ahead of Hosolu. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So, um, yeah, I personally hope we do bring him back and he becomes a squad player because he he's even good off the bench, really. As a you know, someone if you're needing a goal to try and get a goal, he might be worth worth a chance. Well, he may well be needed, and the summer is going to be a massive test. But let's mm. hope that. Common sense prevails with the Rafa situation. I'll, I won't hold my breath, but uh, we'll see. I'm sure there'll be a positive reaction from fans and from the team going into the final game of the season. Please look out for our upcoming Twitter campaign and other aspects of social media and find out more at, at London Magpies on Twitter and get in touch with the podcast London Magpie Tube at gmail.com. And for now, it's over and Ashley out.